Hi, I'm Lenise Brothers, a registered nutritionist, women's health, hormone, and menstrual cycle coach, and the founder of Eat Love Move, a nutrition and well-being practice. This is the Period Story Podcast, where in each episode, I sit down with a guest to talk about their period story. We get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods and so much more. Now, on to today's guest. On today's episode, we have Lena Chan. Lena spent most of her career working as a private equity investor in the UK. After experiencing pregnancy loss and difficulty conceiving, she realized the need to build more companies by women for women to help make health more proactive. She is now the founder and CEO of Adia, a digital health platform empowering women through their fertility journey and mother to three children and two angel babies. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start off by getting into the story of your first period. Can you tell us what happened? Um, yeah, it was, uh, I got my period fairly early. Um, I think I was 10 at the time, which, which was kind of early, or I think when I was growing up, I don't know. I, I feel like now girls are having their periods earlier and earlier. So at school, I hadn't yet uh, learned about it. And I've, I've come, I come from a very conservative Asian family and nobody had talked to me about it. So I remember just one day going to the bathroom and uh, seeing blood and just really being scared and not quite knowing what to do. And my first instinct was to feel really embarrassed. Um, and I remember just putting a lot of, I rolled up a bunch of paper and put it there. But then it, it went away. Like literally it was just a day and it went away. Um, and then it didn't come back again for a few more months, um, like three or four months. And, uh, and then it came back and I did the same thing. I didn't even have pads. And it was, I think a bit serendipitous because my sister had come to visit and she's a lot older than me. She's 22 years older than me. And she brought it up. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> I've been having these, these bleeds and I don't know what it, and she was the first one who gave me a pad. So, and it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, you're going to get this. I'm, I'm going to get, get these things for you. And, and that was it. So there wasn't really much of a conversation. And then I learned it at school. So it was all a bit shocking. And why do you, what you said you were embarrassed. Why, why did you feel embarrassed? I don't know. I think it's because, um, I think it was because it, it felt like it, you know, it's a private area. You always taught that it's a very private area. And, and it was something that I had not ever thought of. Um, and I think it's because also it stained. Yeah, it was, there was a lot of shame associated with it. And, and it's interesting to think of why, why I already at that young age felt shame with that. Because I even remember not, um, like once I started having periods, I didn't want to tell anybody because I, I must have been one of the first two girls in my class to get my period. So I didn't want other girls to know that I had my period. Uh, and so it pee and I, I grew up in Brazil where it's very hot. So you pretty much have swim classes around the, around the year. So I, I remember, I remember just being terrified of swimming because I would swim with my period because I didn't want to tell people that I had my period and I couldn't swim. Uh, and, and it'd always be this, like, you know, running to the, right out, like dashing out of the pool, running to the bathroom. Oh, it was like, it was awful. It was like months and months of dealing with it. Um, I, I remember always, always struggling with it. 
you grew up in Brazil. There was culture of being outdoors, swimming, and you were one of the first in your class to get your period. So the support of your sister, who was 20, 20, 22 years older, must have been really helpful to kind of navigate you through this time. Well, yes and no, because she didn't live with me. Um, she had her, she was already married uh, and she already had her kids. And so she, she only gave me the pads and I didn't really have anybody else to talk to. And my mom didn't talk about it. Uh, you know, my mom kind of didn't really kind of engage with any of that. And uh, so I actually didn't speak to anybody about it until more of my closer friends had their period. And then that became more of a topic amongst us. And we then discovered things together. So we discovered the tampons together. So you know, I remember a friend of mine going, oh, you can use this to help you with the swimming. And I, uh, I tried it, but like, I, I just couldn't get, it, I couldn't get it in. And I was like, I just can't. I was like, I, 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 and I, remember I was like, maybe I don't even have like a hole. <laughs> there was, um, but I think it was cause I was so tense that I couldn't put a tampon on. And then finally she had come from the, she had traveled to the U S and come back with those plastic, um, applicators rather than just the cotton ones that you had to um insert uh with your finger and uh so she's like oh try this one and so and then and then I managed to use tampon and that was like I remember like completely life-changing because suddenly you could hide it right like you it, it, it be, like you could hide that you had periods mm. uh and um but it was like that it was only really through my friends that I that I discovered more about periods and how to manage it and all that and so you were all kind of learning about it at the same time, helping mm-hmm. each other. If you think about, think back to what you were learning and um, is there any, were there any myths that you were, were kind of circulating among you that you think back now and think, oh, okay, that wasn't right. Or why did we talk about that? I think there's still a lot of feeling ashamed of it uh, or embarrassed about it. Um, and for really kind of no no reason. Like, I don't, I don't know what, what made us all kind of feel like we had to hide it. Um, I don't, and I think, well, I think part of the reason was because it always felt like a topic that you can talk about openly or um, be proud of and, and, and kind of celebrate as very, being very feminine. It was always something that was associated with being dirty, being smelly, being yucky, you know, and, and it's almost like as if you had a condition. And I think that's, um, uh, an issue around a lot of women's health topics, and and, and that it was it was also definitely one that I encountered when I had um, problems conceiving and having pregnancy loss, and that's the reason why um, it was a big uh, push for me to start Adia. It was it was around breaking down a lot of these taboos that women face, and I think it starts at the very early stages of, and it happens over and over again as women go through their different life stages. So. Um, you know, you start with periods and being ashamed of those. And if you have period problems like endometriosis, PCOS, fibroids, you struggle with it in silence. If you're not comfortable talking about it at work when it can be so debilitating all the way to struggling to conceive, having pregnancy loss, blaming yourself, not, not feeling comfortable, not getting the right support all the way to menopause and women struggling with those symptoms, not getting those supports. So I think now, and that's why I was saying how I love what you do is because I think we need to, as a society and, and as, as, as women, completely change the dialogue around women's health and these things to actually be a lot more celebratory so that when my daughters 
kind of, you know, go through this phase that I went through, they don't, they don't feel ashamed. Um, and they don't feel like they need to hide about it, or they need to kind of speak to their friends in secret, that it's something that they should be very proud of. Because it was funny, we were, we were working with this charity, um, Bloody Good Period, and we were doing a campaign. So we're trying to figure out, like, what are some social stigmas or social norms that we want to break down? And one of the questions, uh, one of the girls asked me was like, do you still hide your tampon or your pad when you go into the bathroom? And I was like, Oh my gosh, I do. Like even, you know, <laughs> even like now that I, I'm working so much with women's health, um, it's just so subconscious. I do. I roll it in, I roll it, I push it under my sleeve and I go walk to the bathroom, you know, <laughs> so it is still very much ingrained, even in, 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 in us who, who might be kind of a bit more progressive already in the way we think. So I think it's um it's a lot of it was around being such a taboo subject. Are there any other taboos that you think are we need to break down in order to be more celebratory about our periods? Um, I think uh, I think definitely definitely is uh, ce- what what is it like celebrate that it's life, <laughs> mm. <laughs> celebrate rather than something that you're that's ashamed or um, I think uh, sex around periods. Um, I think that's something that girls. Uh, struggle and 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 try to figure out how, what does all that mean, um, you know, which then goes to talking about sexuality, talking about fertility. Um, I I think that's in that can be the early stages of of uh, of kind of like the next phase. That's something women should uh, should talk about more and share more and and break the taboos around that. Um, and I just want to go back a little bit to what you were saying earlier. So you were having these conversations with your friends and learning along with each other. And then as you got older, um, so went into high school, then university, what sort of, what other things did you learn about your period and what were your kind of discoveries then? And how did you educate yourself? Um, I think then the big topic after that, so, you know, the teens is all kind of like managing it and, um, I think it, it ends up being sex and contraception um, mm. was the next big kind of period health, period management um, learning. So what I, re- I, mean, I remember, I tried all these different types of um, contraceptive pills and I just had such bad side effects um, from mood swings to hair loss to the point that I just stopped and take them at all. Um, and I think there's, again, a lot of... Um, uh, uh, lack of knowledge around the contraceptive pill for women and which ones work for them. And I think for a very long time, women have taken it and struggled with the symptoms and just get, keep getting fobbed off as like, oh, it'll take three months for your body to adjust. But like some women just don't and mm. it, it needs to be looked into more. Um, and, uh, you know, some, there are companies now trying to match uh, women's DNA or kind of like existing conditions to the right contraceptive pill. Because um, I think it, people are starting to recognize that there is a link between your hormones, your mental health, your physical health, um, and kind of then how to manage, um, manage that. And then that then I think uh, the next phase of um, taboos and not taboos and, and things that women then learn is, is okay, so now I want to start having a family. So getting off the contraceptive pill, relearning what their cycle is like. Because mm-hmm. sometimes women, you know, because they're on the pill, it's uh, 
quote unquote artificial cycle and you get off it and you don't quite know when your period's going to come back. So you're kind of totally relearning your body. (laughs) And then something that you used to hate having is like the one thing you keep looking forward to so that you can conceive every month. So then again, it, it becomes like this, this relationship that you have with your body and it can either feel very comfortable, very foreign. Um, and cause I think somebody who conceives, it's, it's a nice thing it, it happens quickly for somebody who can't conceive. It becomes a source of anxiety every month. And, mm. you know, and we talk a bit, um, in Adia about women who struggle for a very long time that it can almost feel a little bit like trauma because every month that period reminds you of something you don't have and that you really want to have. Um, so again, it becomes a very, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a struggle with your own body. And, we, you having been on uh, hormonal contraception, and did you have any bad side effects? Yeah, I had terrible ones. That's why I got off it. I think yeah. I, I tried three, and then one I lost a lot of hair. And I remember just coming like they were coming out in like chunks. Um, and it was funny because now at Idea, I was t- talking to a woman who was working on a business to help match women to contraceptives, and she goes, "Oh, so you have the bloody blood gene?" I was like. <laughs> good oh, finally 20 years later somebody figured out why i kept losing hair and i would go on a certain pill and then the other two i just kept getting extremely um bad uh, emotional side effects so like crying for no reason i was like why am i putting up with this like why am i doing this <laughs> why am i going to do this to myself so then i, I just never went on the pill I, I literally tried it for a year and then never ever went on it again and then was that the end of your journey with hormonal with a contra- contraceptives? Yeah, I've never went on co- hormonal contraceptives. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, good old condoms <laughs> or, <laughs> or just avoidance of, you know, calendar yeah. um, using the tracking um, system. Okay. But, and so how, how did you learn about that? Was it, some, was it trial and error or? Um, My, I mean, I guess because I, I never went on the contraceptive pill and I've been, I've just been very lucky with an extremely regular cycle. Um, my cycles were always 27, 28 days. The only time that I went to, um, a very irregular period was when I started working and it was extremely stressful. And I remember, I mean, I, 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 I would, I worked around the clock. I barely slept. So I, I don't think my body even knew what was day and night. And I was getting my periods every two weeks. Um, and, uh, and I was too en- engrossed with my job that I didn't really think much about it. But then when things calmed down, it became regular again. So I kind of always had a sense of when I was ovulating and, and then I, I, I kind of became quite smart about, um, my fertile signs and like what to look out for. Like, so I, I, I became very tuned in with my cycle, um, which has helped me in other ways. Um, cause it, it helped it. I can even now with food and like, I've become, I, I kind of quite listen to my body. I can tell, um, when I'm not feeling quite right. So I could usually predict when I was going to start bleeding. You said you were quite tuned in you and now you're quite tuned into your cycle mm-hmm. and with, uh, with food as well. What do you mean by that? Um, so I um so I when I went through when we started trying I I struggled so I, I lost my first two pregnancies um one very, fairly late stage at 6 months and then uh and then we managed to conceive and I had three kids but during that phase of loss um I really kind of kind of stopped trusting my body I didn't really kind of connect with it um and it was the I think it, it was the trauma it was trying and and I, um, I went to the doctors, they figured out what it was. Uh, but during that time of 
trying and failing, I needed to learn how to trust my body again. And I did it through yoga and I did it through nutrition. Um, so I became a yoga teacher and, um, and I did a couple of nutrition courses. And I think all of that was so that I could kind of feel a little bit more empowered and a little bit more attuned to something that, what I said to you, that become, had become very foreign, something that had always given me what I had you know, put into it. Like, you know, I was very athletic. I always um, did a lot of exercises. So I knew that, okay, if I train, I, you know, I could, I could reduce my, my time by X, like what you put in, I would, I could get out. Like I, I understood my body, but during pregnancy, I just didn't, <laughs> like, whatever I did, just didn't do what I wanted it to do. So I just needed to really kind of calm down and, 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 and relearn it. And, and I did it through exercise and I did it through nutrition. So yoga really helped me kind of move with consciousness. It, it taught me about mindfulness. It taught me with sit, to, to sit with my feelings and nutrition um, kind of, you know, helped me because I, I did, you know, I, I was athletic, so I pretty much just ate whatever I wanted. I never was quite conscious about what I was putting into my into my mouth. Um, but uh, but during that phase, I, I learned about the vitamins. I learned about what made me feel good, what didn't make me feel good. When was I eating for anxiety, and when was I eating more mindfully? And and all of that kind of just helped me be more present and more grateful for what I, what I had in my body. Um, and then we went on to conceive and, and all that. So, so it was through that journey that I learned, um, to trust, trust it again. And I did it through those two, two, um, two venues. You, you sound amazingly tuned in and it sounds like you, you, you've been on this incredible journey and of understanding not only what nourishes you physically and nutritionally, um, but also the being really open to what what's going on with your body. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. Uh, how long was this was this journey for you? Oh gosh, <laughs> three. So three years from the first time we tried to having my first daughter um was three years because we had the two losses and and conceiving between them took almost a year each um and then uh once at luana was she was born at 32 weeks so she was born quite early so that was a, a fairly stressful kind of fourth trimester um but then we had two others in quick su- succession so from beginning to th- three children um it took us five years but um uh to get from beginning to first child, it took us three years. So yeah, so the the other two came very quickly thereafter. <laughs> and I think it's you know it was part of it was um, uh, I I, w- I had a lot less anxiety around it. I knew how to take care of my body to prepare for pregnancy. Um, I also knew that because you know because I I had struggled. We started trying six months after me having Luan, and I think a lot of women prefer to wait a, week, a year. And I think the recommendation is to wait for a year. But um, you know I was I, I was aware of my age and, and I had struggled, so we tried sooner, and then we were lucky to conceive sooner. Um, but I, you know, I took, I took a lot, I took much better care of my emotional and physical health in the subsequent pregnancy. What would you say to women who are going through similar things, who maybe have had a miscarriage and who are trying to conceive again? I mean, I think the first thing is, um, to really not underestimate the impact that it can have on you emotionally. Um, and to talk about it, um, it is something that women feel 
really ashamed about, um, but it's very important to talk about it um, and, and seek the, the support that, that you think you need. Um, one of the doctors that work with us, she actually just released a study last week. It was picked up by quite a few of the newspapers showing that one in seven women who experience even just one miscarriage go on to develop PTSD. Um, and that can have really um, big consequences. And sometimes we don't even realize that we have it. Um, so I think recognize that it, it will affect her emotionally. So seek help. Um, I, I think, you know, it took me too long to rec- recognize that I needed that support. Um, and, uh, and then I think learn to trust yourself again in your body again um, and find whatever works for you to feel grateful again about the body that you have. Uh, some people practice mindfulness. Um, some people talk to friends. Some people practice gratitudes. Um, some people dive into nutrition. Uh, find what works um, and, and reconnect with your body uh, so that you can start trusting it again and, and really get informed. Um, I think it's important to you know, try to don't when the NHS makes you um, miscarry three times before you see, seek a specialist. But if, if, trust your gut. If you think that you want to see a doctor sooner, um, try to find that support if you can, um, because there are tests that they can run. There are things that they can do um, without having to make you wait for three miscarriages. Uh, and the more empowered you are with information and the more balanced you can feel mentally and physically, I think the, the better chances that we arm ourselves with. It, talking about taboos, do you think that miscarriage is still as much a taboo in terms of talking about miscarriages um, as it used to be? Yeah, I think so. I think there's, I think there's definitely waves of it um, becoming more talked about. So I think it's, uh, it's positive. It's definitely moving in the right direction, but I think it's still, it still is taboo. And I still think that a lot of women attribute um, uh, shame and faults to themselves. And I think, you know, one, one of the key things is a lot of women, when they fall pregnant, they're told not to say anything for the first 12 weeks. But that's when the, when the majority of miscarriages will happen, like 85% of miscarriages. I think, I think it's 85% of miscarriages will happen in the first 12 weeks. And so typically you haven't told anybody at work, you've probably felt rotten because it's the worst 12 weeks of the pregnancy. And, um, and then when you go to the hospital, um, you know, if, if you've miscarried, they'll be like, okay, just go home and try again. So we haven't set it out in a way that women can feel supported during those first 12. So actually it's quite hard. And so then you've gone from not telling everybody, everybody to then say, oh, I've miscarried. So women find that it's a pretty big step, right? Or void to kind of like feel. So, oh, so it's, it's hard to bring that topic up. Um, so I think one of the first things we should think about is like, why is this this 12 week rule, we should just, you know, recognize that it's something that's very common happens to one in four pregnancies and women. Should. So it's funny because it's, it's more common in, in circles of women who have struggled or tried to conceive to just say, as soon as they get pregnant, they say, and they fully acknowledge that there's a very high risk of losing it, but you're, you're recognizing it. It's not again, something that you're trying to hide. Mm. Um, so I think that's, um, you know, so there, I think there needs to be more to be more to be done but you know you hear as more celebrities talk about it as more women like me and you um talk about women's health i think then you're starting to move the needle for the next generation yeah absolutely i remember when i i had my i had a miscarriage before i had my son and i wasn't sure what was happening but i didn't know who to talk to yeah because i thought well 
okay, like it, I, it didn't happen for me this time. So I will keep trying, but I think back to how I was feeling at the time. And I just, I remember feeling sad, but also thinking, well, I shouldn't really talk about it because, uh, you know, what's, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, that, and, it's, and, and I think that's what this study is so important that shows that even if you just miscarry once, you have such a higher um, chance of um, actually having a, 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 a mental distress out of it. Um, so it is something that we should talk about um, and make women more aware of it. I, mean, if, I think even just the, the awareness that it could be quite common, that it could happen to you. And if it happens to you, these are the things that you need to do, um, I think is, is, really, is really key. So talking about your company and everything you're doing to support fertility and support women as they go through um, their journey. Um, what can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, sure. I mean, so when I was going through um, what I, all the things that I went through, there were two kind of big pain points for me. It was one, um, I didn't feel like I could access the doctors that I, I needed. Um, and two, the information that I got was so confusing. <laughs> so, um, so that's the two main things that we try to really break down. Um, um, uh, the barriers we try to break down. So women can come onto a platform, they um, create an account and they can immediately speak to women's health specialists. And they range from obstetricians, fertility specialists, um, nutritionists, um, clinical psychologists. And we rec really recognize that it's important to support somebody for medical information, but as well as nutrition and mental health. So there's no GP gatekeeper. There's no waiting three times to miscarry in the NHS. You can come and ask the questions, whichever question it is. Um, and it's through that information that we can really empower women. And because you're actually asking experts in the field, it takes out all the noise because you know that the information that you're getting is, is trusted. Key thing that we really want to help women with, because I think the more we can help women get the right support, the quicker they are in that journey. And then we really hope that through the articles that we pub publish, the community that we're building, that we're starting to break this taboo around it. Um, so more and more women can talk about it, feel comfortable getting the support that they have, that they, that they need. And then lastly, what we also do um, is we provide um, hormone tests and sperm tests that women can take at home. Because again, it's something that the NHS will typically ask you to wait for quite a long time before qualifying those for those, or um, if you go privately, it's extremely expensive. So we've partnered with companies that are able to really reduce the price and we can just do it in the comfort of your home. Um, so it's really kind of um, disrupting the way health is um, delivered now to make it a lot more accessible to women. And what made you decide to, to start this amazing company? My personal journey, um, I think it was kind of going through it um, and just wanting to help women have an easier journey than I had. Um, and my husband, who's a co-founder, he's a, he's a tech um, entrepreneur and he's like, I, I just don't understand how technology hasn't helped reduce the, the price and, and the barriers to this. Like we need to do something. So it's very much from a personal passion and a personal pain point um, that we wanted to change other people's journey and, and, and um, improve that for them. And have you, do you have any success stories that you can share? 
Yeah, we've had, I mean, we don't promise people they're going to get pregnant. That's not, you know, I think it's more what we promise is that you're going to feel supported. You're going to get the right information and we're going to help you then liaise with the right um, uh, people that you need to. But we've had quite a few women come and say that, uh, that they've, uh, they've gotten pregnant or that they felt very supported, um, that they were able to access services that they hadn't thought about before. Um, some women had taken our test, uh, discovered that they had, uh, you know, hormonal issues that, um, that they weren't aware of and that then enabled them to get the right care. So we've, um, it's, it's really kind of heartwarming to, um, to, to get those messages from our users. And is it UK only or, um, are international, um, now we have you, now we have users from like, 35 almost 40 countries so people have found us yeah and they come and they 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 chat with our experts they um, read the content so you know it's 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 worldwide oh amazing amazing so if you if you if a, a listener could take one thing from everything you've been saying what would you want that to to be um celebrate your body um you know be really proud of the body and grateful for the body that we have as women um it is so strong it's um it's uh you know it, it gives life um it nourishes um and take care of it and love it and um and don't underestimate the the connection of your mind and your body and trust it um and wherever your mind goes your body will follow Amazing, amazing. But thank you so much for coming no, on the show. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.